Heavenly Father, we do thank You. We praise You. We worship You, Lord. You're such a great and an awesome and a holy and a righteous and a just God. We can't even begin to describe You. You're so wonderful. And Lord, we just pray that as right now as we enter into Your Word, that our hearts would be prepared to hear from You. That, Lord, we would become the men and women of God You've called us to be. And, Lord, that You'd give us a hunger to pray, a hunger to spend time in Your presence. And as we look at the model prayer, Lord, that's modeled for us, may not just be a, a bunch of words that we would repeat, but an example for each one of us, Lord, on, on how we ought to enter into Your presence and what ought to be on our heart and the things that we ought to bring before You, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. So, Lord, we love You. We praise You. We pray that man would decrease, that Your Spirit would increase, that You would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be back. Last week I was at Felton Presbyterian. It was awesome. Keep praying for the people over there. They're looking for a pastor right now. Uh, I'm not going over there. I just went to visit. I'm not going. But I, I want to let you know that it was good to be there, and they're wonderful people, and they're looking for a pastor. So keep them in prayer. It was great to, to have a chance to go minister to them. But I really missed you guys. It's hard for me to be away from my family, and you guys are my family. So this morning, here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at prayer. We're going to look at a pattern for prayer, we're going to look at persistence in prayer, and we're going to look at the promise of prayer. The pattern for prayer is, first of all, the person that we pray to. We'll see that, that true prayer should begin with praise, that we should trust in God's providence as we pray, that God is sovereign, He's faithful, and that He's in control, that God provides for us, for His provision. We should be thanking Him for that. As we pray, we also pray for perfection forgiveness for our sins. We also pray that God would protect us as we go through difficulties of life. He would help us when temptation comes to continue to walk with Him. And then we, we pray petitions for other people. We pray on behalf of others, interceding on, on their behalf. A lot of Ps, I know. And then we pray with persistence. We pray persistently. Pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. And then lastly, the promise of prayer. And I love the promise of prayer. The promise of prayer as we see in Psalm 84, verse 11, is that no good thing He will, be, he will withheld from those who walk uprightly. Our, our Heavenly Father loves us, and He wants what's best for us. And I just want to take a moment real quick to say to you dads this morning on Father's Day, first of all, Happy Father's Day. But I want to encourage you with something. That as we look at the pattern of our, of our Heavenly Father and how He ministers to us, God has called each man in this room to be the spiritual leader in His household. That we are called to, to be the, the priest of our home. To intercede on behalf of our wives and our kids. To love them. To lay down our lives for them. And you know what, men? That also means to, in taking spiritual lead that we are to serve our family. And guys, I want to encourage you with this. A lot of times, too, what happens is we let go of the spiritual headship of our homes and we give it over to our wives. And that's not God's plan. God's plan is that you would lead by example. And it's easy for your wife to submit to you as you're submitted to the Lord. God doesn't want us to be these guys who walk around our house who say, sit down, shut up, and submit woman, right? Amen, wives, right? That's not what God wants. God wants us to lead by example, by serving, by loving, by honoring and laying down our lives for our family. And the Bible says, I know no greater joy than to know my children walk in the truth. And there's nothing I love more than seeing my kids be in love with the Lord. And God has called each one of us as men. And we will stand accountable before God one day for the way that we ministered to our families. So I want to encourage you guys that when you got married, that God gave you a minute. That's your first ministry is your wife. Love her, serve her, honor her, lay down your life for her. And then he, as He gives you children and as a, as a father, He desires that you would serve and minister to them. And the number one place that your children should be learning about the Lord is not in Sunday school, and it's not from Pastor Dave, but it's from you. What they get at church ought to be gravy to what's happening at home. Amen? They ought to be hearing about the Lord at home. And it begins with you. And a lot of times guys will say, well, my family might... You know what? A reflection of how we're doing with the Lord ought to be clear when we look at our families. We ought to be able to look at our wives and our children, and that should be a reflection of how we're doing with the Lord. So I want to encourage you guys that what you have is a high calling. It's a great blessing to be a dad. It's one of my favorite words, daddy. And I'm going to talk about that in the message this morning. That's one of my favorite words in the whole world. And I love just the privilege of being a dad. But may we not take it lightly. May we remember that, we're, that we look a lot of times at the physical provision, but God wants us to be the spiritual heads in our home. Amen, guys? You know what, real quick, why don't all the dads stand up? I want to pray for you guys. Why don't you guys stand up? I want to pray for the dads. You guys stand up. I hadn't planned on doing that, but I feel led to do it. Let's pray for the dads. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these men, and I thank you for the calling you've placed upon their life by giving them children. 
And I pray, Lord, you would strengthen them, Father. You would pour out your Holy Spirit upon each one of these men and help them to lead and guide their families in submission to you. I pray, Lord, they would lay down their lives for their wives, Lord, and minister and serve them. Lord, they would be a Christ-like example to their kids. I pray that their children would be able to look at their dads and say, that's what a godly man looks like. That, Lord, we would be a reflection of you to our children and to our wives. And, Lord, I just pray that you would encourage them and equip them, Father. And, Lord, I just pray you pour out your blessing upon each one of them. I just thank you for them, Lord. I thank you for their faithfulness to you. I thank, that, I thank you that they're here on Sunday, Father God, honoring you on Father's Day. So, Lord, just bless them, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you guys. Have a seat. Well, let's begin by looking at prayer. We're going to look at a pattern for prayer. And let's begin in verse 1 and take a look here. And it says, Now it came to pass as he was praying, now that's Jesus, in a certain place, when he had ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So here we see a pattern for prayer, and it begins by the one thing that the apostles asked Jesus. It's interesting to me that the only thing that the apostles asked the Lord as far as being equipped to do something, they didn't ask the Lord, teach us how to preach. They never asked the Lord, teach us how to perform miracles. They never asked the Lord, teach us how to you know, make the loaves and, to, and feed 5,000. But they did say, Lord, teach us to pray. And it's interesting, not to do miracles, but to pray. And after hanging out with Jesus, they had watched his life for three years, and they had seen the example of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to share with you five or six examples that our Lord, though he is God, and he is Savior, and he is King, our Lord was a, a man, though he's as 100% God and 100% man, he was a man who prayed. And you know what? Every mighty man and woman in the Bible is a man or woman who prayed. Every single one. When you look at, at the biographies of great and mighty people used mightily by God, er, there's a common thread throughout all of them. They were people who spent time in the presence of God. They prayed. They sought the Lord. They sought His face. And so, some examples of Jesus. When Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed at His baptism. Remember the story in Luke chapter 3, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven and said, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Here the apostles are, they're standing there, the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, and the very first thing that happens out, he's standing there, he's praying after his baptism, that Almighty God the Father opens up heaven and speaks from heaven. Holy Spirit descends upon Him like a dove and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So we see that our Lord prayed at His baptism. He prayed before He chose the twelve. In Luke chapter 6 it says, He went out on the mountain to pray and continued all night long in prayer to God. And when it was day, He called His disciples to Himself. And from there He chose twelve whom He named the apostles. So before the Lord, though He is God, 100% God, He's sovereign, He knows everything, He's the Creator, He's still, before He chose His apostles, He prayed and sought the will of the Father. It's interesting that here He is making a major decision in life, and He's praying. And the same should be true of each one of us, amen? We should be seeking His face, we should be praying. At that moment of His baptism, He was praying, and at the moment that, that He was choosing those who would be His apostles, He was praying. He prayed when the crowds got large. It says in Luke chapter 5, that so He Himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Our Lord is, all, again, Almighty God, but what does He do? He still had time when He went away from the crowds, He went away from the world, He went away from the distractions, and He spent time seeking the will of the Father. As followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians, we too need to take time to get away from the noise. Get away from the TV. Get away from the newspaper and, the, and everything else that's going on. And just get alone with the Lord. Spend time in His presence. Our women were at the women's retreat last week. I heard great reports. God does great things when we get away from the world. And we set aside time and spend time in His presence. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And the apostles saw every bit of this. And they saw the impact and the importance of prayer held in his life. He prayed before asking his apostles to make a confession of faith. Remember in Luke chapter 9, this is all out of Luke, these things I've shared with you, things we've looked at in the past few months. And it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him and he said to them, Who do the crowds say that I am? Before the Lord asked them to proclaim their faith, he prayed for them that they would be able to. That's our God. Do you know that the Lord intercedes for you? Where is Jesus right now? He is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf right this minute. And I love that. 
That's what Jesus is doing. And then lastly, he prayed at his transfiguration. It says in Luke chapter 9, as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. So as the Lord prayed, he was transformed. And I believe that's an example for us, that as we pray, we too will be transformed. We will become more like him. Pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. The apostles saw that prayer was such an important part of Jesus' life that they no doubt felt it should be a greater importance in their lives. Again, Jesus, the perfect Son of God, was dependent upon prayer during His time on earth. How much more should you and I pray? Then it says there, and John taught his disciples. So teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray. And we're going to do that this morning. Lord willing, we're going to look and, and not that may the Holy Spirit teach one, each one of us how to pray this morning as we look at the model prayer. But I want to say this. John taught his disciples to pray. Now, I find that interesting. Why? Because John the Baptist, as we know, those of you who have been here through the study, was a miracle baby. John the Baptist was given to Zacharias and his wife very well advanced in years. And we know that, that he was the cousin of Jesus Christ, right? Half-cousin, right? And he was the cousin of Jesus we know that the Bible says that from, the, from before, from his mother's womb, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the Bible says, Jesus said that of men born among women, there's been none greater than John the Baptist. This is the greatest guy who ever lived, according to Jesus. And yet, this man who was bold, this man who had no fear, was a man of prayer. And not only was he a man of prayer, but he taught those who followed him to pray. A lot of times we think it's, we think it's wimpy to pray. You know, there's men that want to be macho, I can do it myself. Well, I'll tell you what, no, you can't. Amen? The Bible says that without Him, we can do nothing. And nothing means nothing. So without God, you can't do anything. And so what happens is John the Baptist here, this mighty man of God, still was a man who taught his disciples to pray. And so here they come and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us. Instruct us. Guide us. Show us, Lord. We need to know. We need to understand. And here we're going to move now into the model prayer. A lot of people refer to this as the Lord's Prayer. I don't think of it as the Lord's Prayer because this is not the Lord praying. The Lord doesn't have to be forgiven of sin. The Lord doesn't need to pray for the things that are here. John 17, you want to see the Lord's Prayer? Read John chapter 17. That's Jesus' prayer. This is a model prayer. And this is an example of how we ought to pray. Now I want to encourage you with something. Don't make the mistake of making this model prayer something that you vainly repeat. You know, it's interesting, in, in Matthew's account, right before Jesus shared this prayer, he says, he said to them, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. But the sad part is that all over the country today, there are people standing up and praying this prayer in vain repetition. Even though the Lord gave it and said, don't pray with vain repetition. This is not words, it's not a magic potion. It's not something if we pray it over and over and over again, then somehow God will give us what we want. And the Bible says, don't pray with vain repetition. And so, you know what, if you, hey, you know, I'm just going to be straight. If you've got a Catholic background and you've got a bunch of beads and you're praying 8,000 times, that's not going to do you any good. Amen? You don't pray with vain repetition, hoping to wear God down. That's not how it works. We come before Him. We reveal our heart to Him. We're going to see in the model prayer several things that I hope will open your eyes to what prayer really ought to be. Prayer is not to be empty words of penance, but an intimate communication with our Heavenly Father. So, it took a little work, but i got eight Ps for prayer here, if you're taking notes. And the first one is person. The person that we pray to. It says there in verse 2, And He said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in Heaven. The first thing that is important is prayer is who we address. You know, many people's prayers today are addressed to people. People pray to Mary. You, can't, you know what? Praying to Mary is going to do you no good. People pray to saints. Oh, we got St. Jude, of, you know, prayer, the saint of lost causes. You know? Or, you know, take, take this thing out and bury it in the ground and pray to it and you'll find your lost car keys. Or, you know, we get all these rituals and we're praying to men and we're praying to other people other than God. There's also people that don't pray to people, but they also pray... In vain, you know, impersonal addresses. I wrote down, O living and great eternal Spirit that pervades the universe. That sounds like a Santa Cruz prayer, doesn't it? Right? O great and awesome, holy something Spirit that's out there in the... uh, Whoever we address in prayer will determine the power of the prayer. Amen? And we must begin by addressing the only one who can hear our prayer, who can answer our prayer, and who can minister to our lives. Amen? 
You know what? If you're praying to anybody else but Almighty God Himself through, this, through His Son, Jesus Christ, you might as well be yelling down a well. Amen? Because it's not going to do you any good. And people say, well, I prayed about it. Well, it matters who you're praying to. It's not just what you pray about, but who are you praying to? And we must begin by praying to the person, our Father, our Heavenly Father. Now notice as we go through, we're going to see that this prayer is focused on the Father. And we're going to see that this prayer is very simple. It's only 62 words, I counted. And I understand too that as he prays, as he prays, he's not praying to impress other people. You know, I, I've been guilty of that. I'm sure many of us, if we're honest, we've been guilty of that. Where sometimes we're praying and we're really speaking to the people around us more than we're speaking to the Lord. How many of you have been guilty of that? Raise your hand. You start praying and you're really, you're, you know, and you know what else? Pastors do this. They deliver sermons during a prayer. You're not supposed to do that. And Lord, I just pray that, you know, that Lord, you'll help her to submit to me, Father, like your word says that she's supposed to. And, you know, that's not how we're supposed to pray. Uh, the audience in prayer is the person, amen? And the audience is the Lord. It's not the people around us. And as we're praying, our eyes and our focus and our passion should be only on Him, our Heavenly Father. You know what's been great is the veil's been torn. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil that, that kept man out of the holy, that most holy place, was rent in two. And it was torn from top to bottom that we might enter into the presence of God anywhere and anytime. You don't need to go somewhere and ask a man to pray for you. You don't need to seek... And again, having others pray for you is fine, but you don't need them to pray for you. Nobody is nearer to God than you are if you're born again. You're as close as anyone. Amen? And you can go right into His presence. You can get in, be in His presence while driving down the freeway. And you can pray and talk to Almighty God. Man, I love that. The veil's been torn. It's the person of prayer. We pray and seek the will of our Heavenly Father. The second P, along with being the person that we pray to, is that our prayer should inhabit praise. It says, Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Our prayer should not only be addressed to our Heavenly Father, but should begin by praising His name and His attributes. O holy, righteous, just, faithful, awesome God, creator of the universe, Alpha and Omega, King of kings, Lord of lords, great, awesome, wonderful God. You know what? That's praise. And God created us to praise and to worship Him. And you know what I notice when I pray and I address my Heavenly Father and I begin by praising His name? That before I've even done worshiping Him, my problems are already starting to fade. Amen? As we realize who we're praying to, we start to realize the insignificance of our struggles in life. Amen? Great and awesome, holy, righteous, just God. You're faithful, you're merciful, you're true. When you pray that way, how can you not melt away the problems and the struggles that you deal with on a daily basis. It's a heart and an attitude of praise as we come before the Lord. It brings our spirit into a place of awe and reverence and trust and dependence upon our Heavenly Father. And again, it puts into perspective the insignificance of the things that go on around us. So begin your prayer by addressing our Heavenly Father. And second of all, by praising His name. Prayer is a form of worship. And it's a way that we enter in to His presence. The third thing is the providence of God. God's sovereign will. Look what it says here. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my will. Now often we think that prayer is to change God's mind. You know, the Lord, I need to help you out on a few things here. Uh, you may be falling asleep and I just need to, let me, let me help you out. Now, Lord, uh, have you seen my checking account lately? Now, we've got, we got a few problems here and we've got some bills coming, Lord, and I, maybe, you, maybe you haven't been paying it. I know there's stuff going on in the Middle East. It's probably got your attention. So I just want to remind you, Dave's over here and, and look at my checking account, Lord. And a lot of times we pray to get our will done on earth, or, or done in heaven, excuse me, trying to get our will done in heaven. Lord, hello. And we're trying to speak to Him and we're trying to change God's mind. Prayer doesn't change God's mind, it changes our hearts. Amen? And as we come before Him, we need to pray according to His will. God knows what is best for us. He's a faithful God. And so often when we pray, we think God needs our help. I want to encourage you with something. Even when you don't understand, God is in control. Amen? Even when it doesn't make sense, God is in control. You know, when my, my daughter doesn't, uh, when she was little, or my boys when they were little, they didn't always understand some of the things that dad had to do. Because when you're 18 months old, or three years old, or five years old, or sometimes even when you're 10 years old, you don't fully understand what mom and dad are doing. 
You know, my, my daughter didn't understand that when she was just a few days old, I had to take my daughter down to the emergency room. She was about three days old. And we took her down to the emergency room because she was having problems breathing. She was having a thing called pattern breathing. She breathed real quick, and then she stopped breathing for 60 seconds, and she breathed real quick. And, and, you know, as new parents, especially of our first child, we run down to the hospital. And we're down there, and we take this brand-new baby, and we stick her on this cold table in an emergency room, and all these men with white coats start coming in and start poking at my daughter. And they, they, probably, they had to about eight times stick uh, needles in her to be able to draw blood. I almost passed out, I have to tell you. Because she was screaming so loud, and I want to protect her. My wife had to leave the room, and here's my poor little girl, and she doesn't understand. And, and, and I'm trying to, you know, well, but, you know, when she went and got her vaccinations, the same thing. And they, this man comes in who she doesn't know, and Daddy says, here you go, take her. And then they stick her, right? And, Dad, what's up with Dad, right? What are you doing? She doesn't understand that I'm trying to protect her from the disease that may come. She doesn't understand that it's a vaccination to keep her from being harmed later. And you know what? I can't even make her understand because she's so young and she's so little. But here's what I can do. I can give her the peace that surpasses understanding because when the shot's over, even though I can't make my 18-month-old daughter understand, I can pick her up and I can hold her in my arms and I can love her. And I can give her peace in the midst of it and say, I know you don't understand, but I want you to know Daddy loves you and I'm right here. Amen? And when you're going through difficulties and you're going through struggles, you need to understand that God is sovereign. And even when you don't understand and it doesn't always make sense, know that God is right there to pick you up and hold you in His arms and say, I'm with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I care for you. I love you. I know what I'm doing. You know what? Sometimes, and I'm going to go through this at the very end of the message, there's some, prayer, some things that happen in life that we will not understand until we get to heaven. And there are some things that we find out years down the road and we see God's sovereign hand. But as we pray, we say, Your will be done. Not my will. Your your perfect God. I pray, Lord, for your providence. The word providence, when broken down, is pro-video, to have seen beforehand. God is sovereign. His will is perfect. He already knows the beginning from the end. He's seen it all. He knows what's best for me. I need to trust Him. So when I pray, I pray, Lord, according to your will. Prayer's purpose, again, is not to get man's will done in heaven, but God's will, or is, to get, is not to get man's will done in heaven, but God's will done on earth. Prayer doesn't change God's mind. It changes our heart. You know, prayer is not calling out to the, to the holy Santa Claus in the sky and giving Him a list of the stuff that we want. You know, it grieves me when people say, if you just have enough faith, you can, you can oh, and have enough faith, right? Say, Cadillac, 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 and there'll be a Cadillac out in your driveway, right? If you just have enough faith, you've got to believe, right? You know, and, and put your hand up against the screen, and you know, and, oh, man, that's noise. That's total noise. You know, and send me a thousand dollar seed faith offering, and God will return. Hi, you know, if you believe in seed faith offerings, why don't you send me a thousand dollars so God can bless you? You don't ever see them doing that. Yeah, call in, I'll give you a thousand bucks because we believe in planting seeds. They don't do that. They want you to plant seeds in their, in their, you know, in their field, right? And that's noise that we think that God's this holy Santa Claus in the sky and we just start rattling off a list of things that He should do for us. You know what? Not my will. You know, when we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen? And we shouldn't ask for anything in Jesus' name that would not be according to Jesus' heart and His will. You know, that's one of the things that we're going to see as we go through. A lot of times we pray for things that are contrary to the will of God. We don't download a list of our physical wants. Prayer is asking God to use us to accomplish what He wants so that His name is glorified, His kingdom is added to, and His will is done. Prayer is not, Lord, give me, but is, Lord, change me so you can use me. Let me say that again. Prayer is not, Lord, give me, but change me so you can use me. Amen? A lot of times we think prayers, give me, give me, give me. That's not it. It's change me, conform me, make me more like you so you can use me for your glory. It's also important for Christians to know the Word of God. For it's there that we discover the will of God. And we must never separate our prayer from the Word of God. I have people tell me this all the time. You know, Pastor Dave, I, I prayed about it and the Lord said it was okay. And they're telling me something that's contrary to the Bible. Let me tell you right now, God will never say it's okay for you to do anything contrary to His Word. Amen? I have people come and want me to pray about something. I say, I'm not praying for that. Why aren't you praying for that? Because you're asking me to pray if it's okay for you to date an unbeliever. I'm telling you right now, it's not okay. Amen? Well, can't we pray? No, we're not praying about that. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Why, why would we pray and ask God to do something contrary to His nature or His will? Amen? But we do that. Well, Lord, I just want to pray about whether or not I should 
take this job and I know it's going to keep me from church. Don't pray about that because that's not God's will. You know, Lord, we need, to, we need to make sure we know the Word. We pray according to the Word. Because when we do, we'll see the will of God done. But when we pray according to our will and pray contrary to God's Word, we're going to reap the consequences. John fifteen seven says, If you abide in Me and My Word abides in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be given to you. You know, a lot of, of these false teachers will teach the second half of that verse. Ask what you want and I'll give it to you. That's what the Lord said. The Lord said, ask what you want and He'll give it to you. What does the first half of that verse say? It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. If you've been transformed by God, if you're in love with Jesus Christ, His will will be your will. You will want what He wants. You will desire what He desires. You know what? As Christians from the world perspective, we're weird. You know that? We're aliens here. You know, I tell people I'm working with that God's put on my heart to sell my house and buy a mobile home. They go, you got a big, nice house? You're gonna sell? You know why God's put it on my heart? God's put it on my heart that I want to do more for the kingdom of God and I don't need my stinking house payment anymore. I can go pay cash for a mobile home and I can do more for the kingdom of God. And when I get to heaven, it won't matter what house I lived in. And people think, I'm nuts. Wait a minute, you got a big, you got to work hard to get a house. So what? It's chaff. It's wood, hay, and stubble. It won't matter when I get to heaven. Amen? But it's peculiar to the world. You start, well, I'm quitting my job to go to the mission field. What? You're, doing, you're making a lot of money. You went to school. You did all this stuff and you're going to go work for nothing and minister to people that don't want you there? You must be crazy, man. What's wrong with you? You know what it is? His will becoming our will. His desire becoming our desire. We are changed and transformed as we spend time in His presence. We seek His face. Then we no longer want what the world wants. We want what God wants. And they twist that all around to say, if you just believe, then God will give you what you want. Cadillac, 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 right? And then there's one out in your driveway. And that's not the will of God. God wants us to decrease, that He might increase within us. Our faith doesn't cause God to bow to our will, but it conforms us to desire of His will. Verse 3. Give us this day our daily bread. Where does your provision come from? The the, the fourth P is provision. God is... Jehovah Jireh, Lord God, our provider. Who provides for us? Who gave you the shirt that's on your back right now? Who gave you the food? Who gave us all the food we're about to eat this afternoon? It's the Lord, amen? And we should thank Him and praise Him and honor Him and worship Him for everything that we have. When we pray over our meals, we should pray and say, Lord, thank You for providing You are Jehovah Jireh, Lord God, our provider. Thank you for providing day by day. It says, give us day by day our daily bread. We should never take for granted God's awesome provision. And as we thank God, it reminds us that everything we have comes from Him. And to hold lightly to the physical possessions of this world because it all belongs to Him anyway. Verse 4, and forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So after provision, it's perfection. Forgive us of our sins. When we sin, it breaks communion with the Father. This prayer that he's telling them to pray, these are the apostles he's telling them to continue to pray and ask for forgiveness when they sin. There's this thing going around where people say, well, you pray one time, you never got to pray for forgiveness again. You're forgiven, that's it. You don't have to pray anymore. If you blow it, so what? Well, I don't see that in the Bible. We need to be in constant place of confession and repentance. You've been born again, your sin's been paid for, and you're going to heaven, and no one will ever take that from you. But... When we sin, there needs to be a brokenness. And there needs to be restoration back to the Father. And we need to come daily and say, Lord, forgive me. I love that the Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who was walking across the street in England 100 years ago, 100 plus years ago, he's walking across the street and all these buggies were going by, horse and buggy days, and he's with two of his friends and they get across the street and he stops in the middle of the street and he's standing out in the middle of the street praying. And horses are going by and buggies are going by and they're almost running him over. And finally, he, he comes across the street, and his friend's like, what were you doing, man? Stand out in the middle of the street. He said, you know what? A thought had run through my mind that was sinful, and I didn't want to take another step before I got right with God. You know what? That needs to be our heart. It needs to be confession. So we need to be praying for, per, for perfection, and we're only made perfect through Him. Isaiah 59 says, Your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you. Confession brings restoration. True confession comes from a heart that is soft, that is sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. A proud heart does not seek forgiveness. The Bible says God gives grace to the humble, but He resists the proud. The only thing that, is, it, that becomes more valuable when broken is a man. We need to be broken. We need to be humbled. 
You know what? One of the things I see quite often in people in rebellion against God, it's almost always pride. It's almost always thinking we know better than God. Who does God think He is doing this to my life? Well, let me think about it. Who does God think He is? Let me see. He's God. That's who He would be. I need to start that person part of your prayer and trust in the sovereignty of God and say, Lord, you know what? You know better than I do. You know, my kids sometimes at three and four years old would throw temper tantrums because Daddy wouldn't let them play out in the street or have cake for breakfast, right? And you know what? They just don't understand that Daddy knows a little better. And we need to learn to be the same when it comes to the Lord. Number six, protection. It says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And do not lead us into temptation. Lord, temptation is going to come my way every single day. How many of you are tempted every day? Raise your hand. How many of you know when you're being tempted? We all do, right? I mean, you know what? Nobody sins on accident. Let me just clue you in on that. You don't we'll accidentally sin. No, you didn't. Because the Holy Spirit was going, don't do it. Wasn't he, right? Don't. Don't do it, right? Yeah, right? That's how it feels. Don't, 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 don't say it. You shouldn't, oh, don't. And then you, oh, you say it anyway. Then the Holy Spirit goes, I told you not to say it. Because He loves us. There's conviction that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's what happens is that we need to be praying for perfection. We need to pray beforehand and say, Lord, when temptation comes today, I pray that you would make the way of escape clear to me and you would help me to walk in obedience to you and to flee from, from youthful lust, to flee from whatever temptation comes my way. You know what? You cannot make decisions on the fly. You need to pray beforehand. You need to pray in advance. You know, when I used to travel, I had a, with my job now, I used to travel to San Francisco all the time when I was living in Southern California. And you know what? I'll be honest with you. I've never in my life struggled with pornography by the grace of God. But you know, I'll tell you what, I didn't ever want to start either. And I knew that how the enemy works when you're alone in a hotel by yourself for a week at a time. And they got all this junk on your TV. So I would call ahead and say, take my TV out of my room. Well, Mr. John, take my TV out of my room. I don't want a TV in my room. What do you talk? Take it out. We can dis- No, don't disconnect it. Take it out. They go, okay. I get up there. I wouldn't watch sports. I wouldn't be tempted to watch any garbage on the movie channel that I shouldn't be watching. And I'd spend time with the Lord. But you make that decision when I'm home sitting with my wife and kids. And I spend time in prayer beforehand. Not when I'm sitting up in my room and I'm by myself and the enemy's going, nobody will know. The same is true with each one of us. We need to make those decisions beforehand. We need to start our day saying, Lord, guide and lead and protect me today. Lord, give me, give me the power to walk away. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. We need to pray ahead of time. So pray for perfection and pray for protection from that temptation that's going to come. The way that escape, make it clear, Lord. Impossible to, be, to do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. We're also to petition the Lord. We are called to intercede on behalf of others, especially our enemies. Our hearts will change as we pray and forgive others. Have you ever noticed when you pray for somebody that your heart for them changes? You find that person that really gets on... Somebody, you probably all have somebody on, on your mind. Right? That boss, that neighbor, that person in your family just grates on your nerves. Start praying for them. And watch what God does to your heart. I've got a, I've got a little league coach. Not good. And he's just not, you know, he told my son repeatedly, you have to choose what's more important to you, church or Little League. And, whenever, and they'd have practice Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, and when my son didn't show up, he'd play him the minimum amount of innings each game. And every time he'd say that to him, my son said, well, that decision's already been made. God's more important than baseball. So I'm like, oh, that, all right, son, that a boy. That a boy, that means more to me than, than baseball anyway. But the point is that they, they were like, man, coach is just, he's mean, and coach is this, and coach is that, and he would cuss and stuff, and he's just a mess. I said, kids, let's pray for him. And you know what happened? Is they started praying for him. And their heart starts changing for him. And even when I saw him Saturday, my heart was broken for him. Why? Because we've been praying for him. And as you pray for people, your heart will change in your desire to minister to them. Then lastly, persistence. So we've got petition and now persistence in our prayer. Look at verse 5. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me in, on, this, on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within his house, Do not trouble me, this door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. But I want to make this really clear. This is not saying that if we pester God, He'll give us what He wants. God is not like this man. This man is... God doesn't sleep, by the way. Amen? Did you know that? This man's sleeping. God doesn't sleep. 
This man is, is selfish. God's not selfish. This is an example that if even a selfish and a sinful and a sleepy man will give to somebody, how much more will Almighty God, our perfect and gracious God, give to us good things? Amen? And here this man, it says, because of your persistence, not because of your friendship, because you come to him, just because he wants to get rid of you, he will give to you. How much more will our perfect Heavenly Father give to us the good things? Look at the end of verse 8, though. It says, and give him as many as he what? What's that word? Needs. Needs. We don't pray for wants, we pray for needs. Amen? Not, Lord, give me, make me, can I have, you know, I want to buy a Honda. Not, none of that. Lord, what do I need? You know what I need, Lord. Give me that. Not what I want. Not my will, but thy will be done. Not my plan, but your plan, Lord. God the Father, again, never sleeps. He's not impatient. He doesn't get, an, he doesn't get irritable. He's always generous. He delights in meeting the needs of His children. And persistence in prayer is not an attempt to change God's mind, but to get us to the place where we trust His answer. Have you ever noticed the more you pray about something, the more soft your heart becomes? And the more you say, Lord, whatever you want, Lord, just show me. Lord, just show me. Make your will done. Lord, give me, show me your plan and help me to walk in it. The more time we spend in His presence, the more we get to know Him and His will for our lives. Persistence or boldness in prayer helps us to recognize God's work. Look at verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Keep on praying. Jesus called it abiding in Him. Paul exhorted us to pray without ceasing. In other words, don't come to God only when there's a midnight emergency, but come to Him 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. You know what? I have a, a thing that God put in my heart many, many years ago that the first words out of my mouth every morning, and again, if, if you're not a Christian, you'll think I'm weird, but the first two words out of my mouth every morning are, Yes, Lord. And I got it from Samuel, where I was teaching Samuel to youth group many years ago, as, Yes, Lord, your servant hears. And before I say anything else in the morning, my first two words are, Yes, Lord. I want to wake up thinking about Him. I want to th- wake up with my focus on Him. And before my feet hit the ground, I pray for the day, I pray for my family, I pray for you guys. I pray that God would just do a mighty and a powerful and an awesome work because I don't feel like I can take my feet and put them on the floor without having God go before me. I need Him to guide and lead and direct every aspect of my life. And you know what? We need to begin with that kind of a, a heart. Keep on knocking. Keep on asking. And He will reveal His will to us. We see God's pattern for prayer. It's person of, pray, pray to the person of Almighty God. Begin with praise. Seek His providence that His will, not my will, be done. Thank Him for His provision. Seek that we would be perfected. Ask Him to protect us when temptation comes and have a, pray with petition on behalf of others and then pray with persistence. Because again, pray without ceasing for this is the will of God. In closing, before we take communion, I want to talk to you about the promise of prayer. The last four verses. The final application to each of us this morning is that we have the promise of our Father. And the promise is, look at verse 10, For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened. You know what? Our God is not hiding His will from us. But at the same time, with that being a true statement, the number one thing that I counsel people with about is knowing God's will. So God's not hiding His will from us, but the number one thing that people struggle with is knowing God's will. Now, why is that? I believe it's because we don't pray enough. If we seek God's face, we will know His will. You know, people say, I just don't know what God wants me to do. Have you prayed about it? Well, a little bit. You know, Have you sought God's face? Have you tarried before Him? Have you gotten alone and went away somewhere and just said, Lord, I want to hear from you? He's not a God up in the sky going, no, I'm not going to tell you, sorry. Tough. Figure it out. Hope works out. Figure it out. Sorry. That's not our God. What happens is God's just going, Would you, I know the answer, hello, hello, I know, and just, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't, I'm right here, come over here, come, I, I want to tell you, let me, come, come over here, let me tell you, oh, I don't know what to do, let me go ask, a, let me go ask a, my, my co-worker who's not saved, what do you think I ought to do? Oh, somehow, okay, alright, that sounds pretty good. What do you think? And we run around, and the Bible says, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Prayer should not be the last resort, it should be the first place we turn. Amen? It shouldn't be the last thing we do. Oh no, cancer, we better pray now. You know, a cold, I'll just take him to the doctor. You know, we, we, have a, we have this mentality that we seek God only in desperation. 
And we should go there first. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Keep asking. Seek the will of the Father. He's our gracious and our heavenly Father, and He promises to answer our prayers. It says in verse 11, If a son asks for bread from his father, from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to him who asks him? The promise of prayer brings us right back to where we started, the Father. We started in talking about prayer, hallowed be thy name. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We started by focusing on the Father. And the promise of the prayer, of our prayer life, comes back to the same place, to the Father. Because He's the one that answers. He's the one that pours out Himself upon us. Our loving and our gracious and our heavenly Father promises that no good thing will be withheld from those who walk uprightly. If I, being an evil and a sinful man, will give good gifts to my children, how much more will my perfect heavenly Father give good gifts to me? It's interesting that in 11 and 12, what's related here is food. He says, you know, any man, any man among you, if your children come to you, won't you give them food? You know, if my little eight-year-old son, Mark, came up to me and said, Dad, uh, can I have some mac and cheese? Because that's all he eats anyway. Hey, Dad, can I have some mac and cheese? I'm not going to go, you know, get some gravel out of the backyard and put it in a bowl and say, there you go, son. Hope that works out, right? I'm not going to do that because I love my son, right? I mean, that's crazy. That's the last thing in the world I would do. I want to provide for him. And it's interesting that verses 11 and 12, it's all food. It's all physical provision. He says, you being an earthly father, won't you provide for your son physically? But look what it says that our Heavenly Father provides for us. In verse 13, Father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. He says, an earthly father gives physical food, and I'm going to give you the spiritual food. I am going to transform your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Father will give us what is best. And so too is the Holy Spirit necessary for our lives. The promise of prayer is that if we come by faith seeking to know the Father and His will, He will always give us what's best for us, beginning with the person of the Holy Spirit. What is significant about the Holy Spirit as we close? First of all, do you know that the Holy Spirit is the down payment of heaven? How many of you know that? Ephesians chapter 1. That's what it says. It says in the Bible that, he, that, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And He gives you the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a seal. It's a stamp upon your life. It's ownership papers. It says, I belong to God. I'm His. He's adopted me into His family. I'm one of His kids. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. What an awesome thing. And so when He gives me the Holy Spirit, He's saying, here's a down payment on heaven. Here's my stamp. You're one of mine. You belong to me. He's marked me as one of His. It's adoption papers. It seals us. And it empowers us to be witnesses for Him. And just as He has given us the Holy Spirit, so too we need to learn to trust Him to give us what's best in every aspect of life. Now, I don't often do this, but I'm going to share a few personal things with you guys just to talk to you a little bit about how in my own life, and I don't like to do this a lot, I, I typically like the, the Word be the Word, but I'll just share with you how in my own life there's been things I didn't understand and then I saw God work. And there's things I still don't understand, but I know God's faithful. When I was 11 years old, I'll never forget my parents barging into my room and them telling me that my older brother, my 16-year-old brother, had been in a car accident. And I remember driving to the hospital. And I remember getting there when they were putting paddles on him. And I remember being 11 and I was just weeping because my brother was not only my brother, but he was my hero. He was the one I looked up to. He was, the, he was a great athlete. and He was the guy that stuck up for me when kids picked on me. And, you know, he was just the, he could do no wrong in my eyes. And here he was. And, and I just remember being 11 and, and going into the, to the waiting room. I was crying. Lord, why? I don't understand. My dad's a pastor. We love you, Lord. Why, why would you do this? Why would somebody run a red light going 70 and, and, and hit the door that my brother's sleeping on? And now, Lord, I don't understand. But you know what's awesome? As this time went on, we saw that God used that because my brother, when they said he would, there's no way he would live, God brought him out of that coma after three weeks. And, and we, they, we called the elders from Calvary Costa Mesa, they laid hands on him, and the next day he woke up. And you know what, he's a walking testimony to what God can do. And so, at the time, I didn't understand, but later I saw the hand of God. When I was 14, that's a tough age, I was a freshman in high school. And I've been playing football my whole life, and I had all these real close friends, and I never forget my dad coming home and said, we are moving to Northern California. Like someone shot me in the chest. What? Wait a minute. 
This is supposed to be the best years of my life. I'm going to Fountain Valley High School. I'm playing football. i got all my friends. No, moving where? And all oh, the Bay Area. The Bay Area. Oh, no, we can't move. And at 14, you just don't understand. It doesn't make sense to you. But, my, you know, I understand that you got a job, Dad. But, hey, you know, cut me some slack. This is where I want to live. And at 14, you don't get it. But you know what? Now I look back and I see that it was God's divine plan that brought us to Santa Cruz. Because if God didn't bring us to Santa Cruz, I wouldn't have met my wife. I wouldn't have the kids that I have. And I wouldn't be standing here right now. And so we look at 14 and we don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. But God is saying, Dave, it's a part of my plan. Don't worry. Trust me. Don't worry. Uh, when I was 20 years old, a passion of my life, as some of you know, was playing football. And I played at Cabrillo College and, and I got hurt one year and then I took the entire next year living in the weight room, eating everything that wasn't nailed to the floor and getting ready to play the following season. And I went back and I beat the guys out and I was starting and I was doing all this. Things were looking great and I got hurt again. And I remember getting hurt and I remember going in and they said, you're out 14 weeks. Well, guess how long the season is? Twelve weeks. So guess what? And I'll never forget, Rick Siegel was with me. I went and got my equipment. I went into the equipment manager's office and I threw it all on the floor. Because I was so frustrated. And I remember saying, Lord, why? Why is this happening? I worked so hard and Lord, I would have honored you. And you know what? The Lord said, Dave, football is too important to you. I didn't realize it at the time. But do you know that the week after I stopped playing football, I met my wife at work, and I never would have met her if I'd still been playing football. See, sometimes we look and say, it doesn't make sense to me, but I tried so hard, and Lord, I don't understand. And the Lord says, it's all part of my plan. You don't have to understand. Trust me. The peace that surpasses all understanding. When my wife and I have been married a couple of years, we tried for a long time to have a child. And our first child, I'll never forget calling my parents and letting them know that we were pregnant. We went out to dinner, and we celebrated, and it was wonderful. It was, a great, it was just a great joy. And about two weeks later, my wife's laying in bed, and she starts screaming at the top of her lungs. And my wife has a high threshold for pain. And I'm like, what is going on? And she was in so much pain that I literally picked her up and ran her down the street to community hospital. And we got into the hospital, and the doctor showed up, and they rushed her into emergency surgery, and they told me if it had been another hour, my wife would have bled to death internally. She had an ectopic pregnancy. We lost the baby. And then on top of everything else, they told us that we probably would never have children. And I'll never forget saying, wait a minute, Lord, well, I don't understand. I've always wanted children. How can this be? My, we've lost our child, and now you're saying we may not have children? I don't, I don't understand. And you know what? I've got a child in heaven because the Bible tells me that, that that child is there. And you know what? I'm looking forward to that day. But at the time, it was difficult, and I struggled with it. And I still don't fully understand. But I'll tell you one thing that did happen is it caused my wife and I to pray without ceasing that if it would be his will, that he would bless us with children. And do you know it was four more years until we got pregnant with Ashley? And I'll never forget when we had her. And then it was three more years. And then we had Johnny, Dave, and Mark, right? I mean, God answers prayer in bunches, boom. And I remember people saying, you guys are nuts. You had three boys in 26 months. We're saying, you don't understand. This is 10 years of prayer. We've been asking for God to do something awesome. And here, this is God. And so, when you know what? We don't understand sometimes, but God knows. And his plans are perfect. And sometimes we can look back and we can see, and sometimes we don't understand. I also remember a time this three-year-old girl, Jessica Godfrey, was in our Sunday school class that my wife and I taught. And their parents were some of the closest friends in the world to us. And the following day, she was playing out in her front driveway and, and the truck got kicked into gear and it ra ran back over her and she died. Three years old. And you think, God, I don't understand. God, it doesn't make sense to me. And I'll be honest with you, I still don't fully understand. But I know that God knows. And I know that God's sovereign. And I know that God's faithful. And I trust him. And then lastly, about 12 years ago, again, I haven't shared this with many people, some of you know, about 12 years ago I was in the mission field in Russia. And I, had, I saw God do the most miraculous work I've ever seen in my life. Thousands of people coming to know Christ. But I left there with something. I got a, a microscopic parasite that's been in my stomach ever since. And for 12 years I have pain every single day in my stomach. Now I've prayed, and Lord, I don't understand fully, but I also know that it keeps me on my knees every day. Saying, Lord, you know what I have. Lord, you, you know it's the thorn in my flesh. And Lord, if it keeps me closer to you, then make it twice as hard. Because Lord, my desire is to follow and serve and love you. And God knows what's best for us. And sometimes we don't understand. And some of it we won't understand until we get to heaven. But you know what? As we pray, we need to learn to trust God that he knows what's best for us. Amen? He's a faithful God. He's a loving God. He's a gracious God. He's a merciful God. So in closing, he knows us. He loves us. We never need to be afraid of His answers that He gives us. Trust Him. Trust Him. 
You might say, well, Lord, I really think this is the one I'm supposed to marry. You know what? It may not be. Trust Him if He says no. Lord, I really feel like this is where I'm supposed to go. Trust Him if He says no. Trust Him. He loves you. He's a great and an awesome God. And He'll do what's best for you if you will. Worship team comes on up. So in conclusion, as we talked about prayer, the pattern for prayer is we pray to the person of Almighty God. We begin with praise. We pray for His will to be done. Providence. We thank Him for His provision. We seek His perfection and that we would be forgiven for sin. We seek His protection when we go through struggles of life. We put, make petitions on behalf of, of others and we, we pray with persistence. And then we trust in the promise of God that no good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. That's the God that we serve. He's a faithful God. You know what? I want to encourage you. Don't fall into the trap of even taking those things I wrote down and saying, well, I've got to pray all these things. The Lord just wants to hear your heart, you guys. Just go before the Lord and pour out your heart to Him and He will answer your prayer. We're going to go to have communion now. I'm sorry we went a little over, but here's what we're going to do. The worship team is going to play a song and, and just during the first song, why don't you come on up immediately and grab the, the communion and just go back and sit down. And here's the thing. Calvary Chapel, we don't have membership. You show up, you're a member. There's no, there's no membership in the Bible. You just show up, you're part of the church. Amen? You've, you've given your life to Jesus Christ. You're one of His kids. You've been adopted into His family. And what we do is just go back, and if you have a husband or wife or family here, and you want to sit and take communion together, if you want to take communion by yourself, you can do that. But just come on up as, as worship plays. Go back and have a seat and just pray and thank God for what He's done for you. Just remember that the bread is a representation of the fact that He suffered and died, that we might have eternal life. That His body was broken, that we might know Him. And that the, the juice represents His blood. That only through His shed blood that we might be saved. One drop of His blood paid for the sins of all of mankind. And so as you sit and you, you pray, just begin by doing this. Begin with praise. Pray to the person of Almighty God. Pray for perfection. Ask God to forgive you where you've fallen short. Thank Him for His, for his love and His grace. And then, then take communion, okay? Let's, let's pray and then we're going to take communion. Heavenly Father, we do thank You and we praise You, Lord. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You that we can enter into Your presence. And right now, I pray that we would never let your cross go com grow common in our hearts. May it never be something that was done a long time ago, that we just it's become a ritual, Father. But we, may we do this in remembrance of you, of your love for us, as our Heavenly Father, that you sent your Son to suffer and die, that we might have eternal life. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you, Lord. Just fill us with your Spirit, Father. Prepare our hearts to receive your communion. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.